Welcome to Christ the King this morning. A pleasure to be with you on a, just a beautiful morning. Uh, we have concluded our sermon series through the book of Acts, and we are going to catch up with our adult ed. Our adult ed is uh, exploring a subject called TechWise, Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in the Proper Place. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll think, of some of the, uh, we'll think about this subject in our Sunday morning sermons. Uh, the subtitle for this book that we're exploring is Everyday Steps for Putting Technology in Its Proper Place, and that is a great uh, subtitle because uh, technology is fantastic. It is wonderful. That's one of the points we'll observe first and foremost as we turn to our, our scripture reading, yet it must be kept in its proper place. So with that in mind, let's jump into Genesis chapter 11. Uh, now, Genesis chapter 11 records the first ever human development of technology. And thank God for it. Bricks. Bricks made not uh, baked by the sun, but bricks instead superheated in some sort of oven. Bricks made not simply with uh, the mud that uh, was probably used prior to this, but instead bricks that are used with uh, bitumen or mortar. Other translations will have the word asphalt. So some sort of uh, an adhesive quality that holds these bricks together. We are by nature, by God's design, curious. We're inquisitive. We're creators. We want to know what's beyond the horizon. We want to know how the world works. We want to know what we can do about it, what we can do to change uh, our own environment. And thank God for this. This is a God-given quality that he, we as, as um, his creatures reflect a little bit of his creative, um, uh, his creative impulse. And thank God for it. Thank God for whoever this was. We don't know who he, she, or was, but somebody's thought, huh, you know, bricks made with mud, that's good. I wonder what would happen if I mixed a little, oh, I don't know, bitumen, whatever that happens to be. I wonder what would happen if I mixed some bitumen in with that. What would happen? You know, bricks that are baked by the sun, those are, those are good. That's strong. I wonder what would happen if I took these same bricks and, and cooked them in an oven. I wonder what some person who is the first of many inventors, and thank God for them. Thank God for this curious, inquisitive, uh, exploratory impulse that sits right here. I don't know if you've been to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. It's the, uh, right in Old Town. It, 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 there's a museum at the bottom of it, and it is absolutely worth your time. A fairly small museum, uh, I don't know how big, it doesn't compare to a Smithsonian's as far as a scope or size, but it's just a wonderful museum, and it is a celebration of the, um, the creative impulse of humanity. And there's big inventions, cotton gin, for instance, life-changing inventions, and there are inventions that, uh, you think, hasn't this always been around? Like a Band-Aid. No, actually somebody invented a Band-Aid. Uh, and so there's all these wonderful little inventions, most, some of which you take for advantage, some of which are revolutionary. Two, uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I was uh, with Archbishop Sapit. He's the Archbishop of uh, Kenya. And we had a spare uh, afternoon, some flexible time on our hands. So I said, well, we don't have time to go far, so let's just go check out uh, the museum at the bottom of the U.S. Uh, trademark, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, so that's what we did. And uh, Archbishop Jackson is from the southeastern 
portion of Kenya. He's from a tribe called the Maasai Mara. And we're walking through these exhibits, and with each exhibit there's little pictures, and there's some history of this is how this came to be, or this is the impact of this creation. And Archbishop Jackson stopped in front of one particular display and said, I, I know these people. And there was a picture of people from his particular tribe, which is the Maasai tribe. Now, he probably didn't know the exact people, but they wore the markings and the bees that would identify them as part of that particular culture. And the celebration invention that was being displayed was this little gadget. This little gadget is a light. You can see on the back, uh, for those in the back, there's a black little solar cell. And what this is, this is durable, reusable, uh, economic light. So the solar power cell obviously stores up energy during the day, and I don't know, I don't know if this will work if I put enough shade, but as the sun sets and light falls, well, I'm not putting enough darkness, uh, the, the light, aha, there we go, light goes on. The name of this little gadget is called No Caro. What do you think that means? It's not some Swahili word that you. <laughs> no Caro simply means no kerosene. And no Caro, so all the electricity that is generated in these uh, somewhat remote villages is, is generated through kerosene, right? And kerosene is, of course, flammable, dangerous, it's a pollutant, it's not economic, it's not, it's not many things that this is, not reliable. And so this little invention right here, made by, oh, I don't know, someone following in the lines of this brick maker, has created a reusable, reliable, inexpensive form of electricity for the one billion people on our, human, on our, on our planet that live without reliable Electricity, one billion. Thank God for this creative, exploratory, inquisitive, creative impulse that God has put right here. Thank God for bricks. Thank God for light. Thank God for anesthetics. Thank God for immunization. Thank God for the internal combustion engine. Thank God for the microchip. Thank God for every time you go to the dentist and you think, oh gosh, and you have that wonderful anesthetics that takes away all fear and all concern. Thank God for the, the wonders of human creation inspired that come from this God-given quality that you and I have. It is remarkable. And it is a cause for praise. You know what Henry T. Ford said, uh, you know, just to, 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 capitalize, to, to cap this last idea of the, the wonderful exploratory nature of humanity, Henry Ford, the creator, the one who um, revolutionized the internal combustion engine, he said, you know, if I gave people what they want, we'd still be driving horses with bigger buggies. He had just this wonderful imagination that said, what if? In popular imagination, science, development, stand opposed to Christian faith. We probably are familiar with a little bit of that story. You know, it's the fuddy-duddy uh, Christian people who don't want to see science develop or technological developments. That's just simply not true. Author, author um, 
Nancy Piercy and Charles Thaxton have written a book called The Soul of Science in which they argue that it's far from being opposed to science, you actually cannot get what we know is now as science without the Christian worldview. Very briefly, uh, these authors say that, you know, in order to get something we now know as science, you've got to believe a couple of certain things which sound very basic to you and me, but aren't basic to all. Number one, you've got to believe that, that creation is good, worth your study. Sounds basic, it's not basic to all. Secondly, you have to believe that creation is not only good, you've got to believe it's not God. Sounds basic, not basic to all. Pantheism believes that divine, the spark of divine is in everything. It's hard to dissect the frog in seventh grade biology if you believe you're just dissecting a divinity. That was supposed to be funny. It's, uh... <laughs> you have to believe that creation is orderly, repeatable, that the same experiment that you do today, God willing, all things being equal, will have the same results. All these things, the goodness, but not the divinity of nature, the, the repetitive, the, uh, the predictability of nature, these things are all inherent to the Christian worldview. So it's no surprise, the authors write, that something like the Industrial Revolution occurred here in the Christian West. Something like the Scientific Revolution occurred here in the Christian West, because we have the foundation, the bedrock that allows these things to occur. Thank God for science. Thank God for technological development. That's our first point. Second point, if you're following along the service leaflet, you know that uh, the story of Babel has, uh, well, it, uh, it has a, some sober underpinnings to the story, and it's to those we now turn. So the first danger that comes with technology, or the first thing we need to be aware of, I don't want to call it a danger, but the first thing we must be aware of is that we tend to overestimate the impact of our technological developments. Follow along with me in the service leaflet. So they make their bricks, their first scientific technological development. Brick of stone, bitumen from mortar. And listen to what they say. Come, let us build ourselves a city. But not just any city, not just any, any tower. Let us build a tower with its tops all the way up into heavens. Now, we're not going to just be content with a little modest tower. We want, a, we want a really big tower, a tower that goes all the way to heavens. And this just sets a long string of, uh, of some faulty expectations. We always anticipate that our scientific developments, our technological advancements will do more than they actually do. We are now in the future. 2017 is the future. We're in that state, is that... Uh, era in which uh, the science fiction movies produced in the 1960s, 1970s, and 80s, well, they anticipated the future as like right around now. For those children of the 80s, of which I am, uh, you may remember Marty McFly. Marty McFly went to the future. He went to the year 2015, and it's just not that cool. If you recall, Marty McFly, like the things that stuck out to me as a young person, well, there was a hovering skateboard and flying cars. Uh, you know, 2015 came and went, and no flying skateboards, no flying cars. And an article uh, by The Economist uh, recently was on ed tech. And it was an article that explored the different ways machine learning or educational technology will increase our learning. The article began with previous examples of ed tech. The first one was 1928, a gentleman by the name, by the name Sidney Pressey. He invented the first learning machine, an automated machine, multiple choice, you press the right button, a little sugar-coated treat came out from the bottom. Pressy said that this invention will free teachers and pupils alike from educational drudgery. The article continues, despite its sugar-coated bait, Pressy's teaching machine went the way of most such technology. It did not live up 
to the hype. Now, interestingly, the article has a lot of skepticism as it looks to the past. Old Pressy didn't able to, wasn't able to do it. He didn't revolutionize technology, but uh, you know, now, now is the time, right? The same sort of skepticism applied to the past is not applied to the future. Now it's going to be great. Now it's going to be wonderful, right? We tend to overestimate the impact of our technological advances, and the future is just not never as cool as we anticipate it, as we anticipate it being. And back to the Tower of Babel. I don't know if you picked up on the intentional jab. So they're going to build a city up into heaven, a tower up into heaven. Look at verse 5. This is intentionally witty on the biblical author's part. The Lord came down to see the city of the tower. Why did he have to come down? The image is... the bottom of, of the ceiling, all right? So we intend to overestimate the impact of our technological advancements. And our third observation flows from the second one. We overestimate the impact of technology because we think our technological developments will do things and provide things that only God can provide. Again, follow along with me in, in the passage. Let us build ourselves a city, a tower, with its tops in the heavens. Why? We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to be somebody. Yeah, that sounds good. Right behind the idea of building a tower, it's not just building for building's sake. No, but we're going to be somebody. Be someone big. Not only that, there'll be some security, right? Otherwise, we're going to be dispersed over the four corners of the earth. But if we can get this tower big enough, I'm going to be somebody. And we'll have the security that we long for. True story. Uh, my uh, neighborhood, had, neighborhood has a Halloween party. Some of the adults, myself excluded, come dressed up. And the, uh, there's always a little bit of a guessing game of what different adults come dressed up as. So I'm going to describe a costume, and you see if you can guess what it is. This person came dressed up to the nines. A glamorous dress, gown. Uh, this person had images, not of her own children, but of, of, of uh, you know, Photoshopped children. Yeah, this person had um, pictures of their exotic and memorabilia from their exotic travels with their perfectly sculpted husband. And we all went around and said, what, what exactly are you supposed to be? And no one could figure it out. Congregation, do you have any ideas who she was? She was not Angelina Jolie. That was, cl no, uh, not even, that was not even close. Sorry. <laughs> who was she? She was her Facebook self. Which is kind of funny, but kind of not funny, right? Right? She's tapping into what they tapped into. You can be somebody. You can have a name. Again, kind of funny, but then again, kind of not so funny. Here's the problem. If we, if we overestimate the impact of technology because we think that technology can do not only change our circumstances, which it can, but we assume that technology can change the nature. It can change us. It can, uh, it can answer some of those metaphysical longings. Enough friends, you're not going to be lonely. Enough security, you won't be afraid. Those, metaph those metaphysical challenges that you and I face cannot be solved by any development, no matter how big, no matter how grand. But we think that's the case. We think that 
we're going to build something, we're going to make something that's going to not just change our circumstances, but change me. That's why, back to science fiction, the future is not only cooler, right? There's not just better gadgets. They're actually better people, right? We think that that's going to happen. But here's the deal. If we create flying cars, we're not going to eradicate road rage. Just be sky rage. If we populate Mars, it's not going to be utopia. You know why? Because I'm going to be there, and you're going to be there. Our, our technological developments can change our circumstances, and thank God, I don't mean to minimize it. I much prefer anesthetics to not anesthetics, right? But they cannot change you. They cannot answer those fundamental longings that you have at your heart. No way. We think they can, but they cannot. And this is the prerogative of God. He can change the heart, not our stuff. Let's move on to our next point. So we've seen some dangers that we have to be, or some, some realities we have to be attuned to as we encounter technology. One, we tend to overestimate. We, can, we credit it to do things that it cannot do. Uh, the next thing we do, um, first we overestimate. The second faulty fault that we have is we do not ask the should questions. We only ask the can questions when it comes to scientific or technological development. I'm in verse 6. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They all have one language. And this is the only beginning, only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. See, humanity only asks the can questions. Our limitations, our explorations, our scientific developments are not limited by should. They're only limited by can. Again, science fiction has a little bit of its thumb on the pulse. Think of the typical villain uh, in, in many movies. They are the unwitting scientist who opens Pandora box because they can, can. And they never ask, should. Dr. Frankenstein, can you bring a dead body back to life? Yeah, yeah, I can. Dr. Frankenstein, should you bring a dead body back to life? No, no, you shouldn't. Jurassic Park scientists, can you reconstitute a dinosaur? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Jurassic Park scientists, should you reconstitute a dinosaur? No. No, you shouldn't. People of the plan of Shinar, can you build a tower up to the tops of heaven? Yeah. People of Shinar, should you build a tower? No. No, you shouldn't. People of today, can you clone a sheep? Yeah. Yeah, we can. People of today, should we clone a sheep? No. No, you shouldn't. People of the day, can you splice genes? Take away unsavory traits? Yeah. Yeah, we can. People of the day, should we splice genes? Create designer human, human beings? No. 
No, we shouldn't. Yet I am unaware of any scientific development, any technological development that's sitting on the shelf. Some idea that someone has said, you know what, we just, this is, we just shouldn't open this. I'm no scientist, but my assumption is if we can do it, we're going to do it. There's no governor on our ascent. You see that? Whatever they propose they, to do, they will do. And so here we get to the good news. Because we do not ask the can questions, pardon me, because we do not ask the should questions, God does. Do you see the point of the story? Uh, verse 7, come, let us go down. Confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed him. You see what's happening? We do not ask, we do not govern our assent, so God does. Children never ask, how high should I climb? If you were to ask my wife, she would say, neither do dads. <laughs> the responsible parent says, you should climb this high. And that's what God does. As Christians, we believe that God is still active in governing his world. And here we have a hint of what his actual work is. He is governing, limiting our ascent. You may think, really? Of all the things God could be doing, is that what you ought to be doing? And I want to say, yeah. Absolutely. I read an article that suggested that today, a child born today may reasonably expect or could possibly expect to live to the year 150 years old. 150. Sounds good, doesn't it? It's not. My grandfather passed away at 104. Oldest person I've ever known. At 104, he was uniquely cogent, uniquely capable. He still knew his uh, periodic table. He could still speak German. Yet his hearing was all but gone. His mobility was all but non-existent. His legs had simply ceased to function. He had buried one wife. He had buried two sons-in-law. What would he do with another 46 years? That's my life plus three. I'll tell you what he would do. He would bury his children. Likely he would bury his grandchildren. He would watch his body slowly deteriorate. He would watch his mind slowly lose grasp with reality. I hope you don't find this sobering, but you see, we, I, I, can we do it? Yeah, probably we can. But friends, I wouldn't wish 150 years on my worst enemy. And I mean that with no exaggeration. I fear virtual reality. The screen is already alluring enough. I fear the moment when we figure out, you know what? The whole virtual thing is a lot better than the actual thing. It's going to check out. Can we do it? Do we have the technology to do it? 
Pretty soon we will, should we? Should we make virtual reality so appealing that it draws you and me completely away from real reality? No. No, we shouldn't. So thank God for God. Thank God that one of his responsibilities is to govern the ascent, to limit our technological and scientific development. Why? Because you and I are not going to do it. So we need God to be God, and thank God he is. I hope you find these, I know that ended on a bit of a sober note, but I hope you find these observations to be timeless. Thank God for technology. Thank God for these little gizmos. Thank God for this creative impulse that is part of our reflective nature of God. It's part of how we reflect the very nature of God. Yet, let's just be aware that even the best of science, even the best technological development cannot do the things that only God can do. As we come to a close, I want to apply some of these principles to uh, the contemporary technological development that we are now walking through. And that is the development of handheld, portable smartphones and other devices. And all of these principles apply. Thank God for the remarkable creativity and the ingenuity that allowed the computing power that got Apollo 11 to the moon and back to be carried around in our pocket. Second, it's easy to anticipate much more from these devices than you can actually deliver. It's a tool, and that's it. Third, we don't exercise much restraint. We tend to be governed by the question, can? Can I check? Can I scan? Can I browse? Can I play? Not the question of should. Should I? And I know for many of you, these things are not a problem, that it is a tool, and it is a tool that you use, and it is a tool that you put down. But I am troubled by the ubiquitous and the unceasing use of smartphones. I'm troubled when I drive by a bus stop uh, with middle school students and they're lost. I'm troubled when I walk into a restaurant and I see two people across the table from one another and they're equally lost. I'm troubled when I pick up my children and I see parents who for all their attentiveness may be a robot pushing their child. I'm troubled walking through DC and seeing these things as essential as an appendage. I'm troubled because of the lack of human, action, human interaction, the lack of eye to eye the lack of face-to-face -face contact, that's troubling. 
I am troubled because our devices appeal to a flaw in our makeup. It's a flaw that does not seem so bad at first glance. It's a flaw that we encountered in our gospel reading. And that flaw is that we are so very easily distracted. Verse 40 of Luke, Martha was distracted. We don't mean to be rude. We're just easily distracted. And because Martha was distracted, she missed something. She missed an unrepeatable event. She missed the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I am troubled by the missed opportunities. I'm troubled by, did my child just score a goal? Oh, I missed it. I'm troubled by, were you saying something? I missed it. I'm troubled by the thought of how much we simply miss because we are so easily distracted. And again, I know that many of you have this tool well in hand, but I imagine for some the servant as the master. And I simply want to encourage you now the quietness of this place and this sanctuary to examine your heart. To see if these words that Jesus spoke to Martha may apply to you. Martha, Martha, you are distracted with too many things. But one thing is necessary. And you're missing it, Martha. About five, six years ago, I decided this did apply to me. And I got to say, it was one of the most empowering moments of my adult life, walking back into whatever store it was and said, I just don't want it. Take it back. It's just almost worth it to see the reaction on the face of the salespeople. What? You don't want? No, I really don't. And I got to say, it's, kinda, it's not without its challenges. There's more than one occasion when I'm driving through downtown DC thinking, I have. No idea where I am. But they have this great thing, these great things. You may have heard of them. It's a map. And so you, you unfold it. It's a piece of paper. And you kind of figure out where you... And if the map doesn't work, here's what you could do. I've actually done it. And you, it works. You could, you could talk to somebody. And that, that works too. Again, I don't want to make light of a, uh, I don't want to be too flippant, but I just want to impress upon us that Jesus still speaks to you and me. These same words that he spoke to Martha so many years ago. And I would just invite you by the, to allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart, to open your mind again. And here, Martha, Martha, you have been distracted. Brad, Brad, you've been distracted. David, David, you've been distracted by many things. But only one thing is necessary. 
If those words apply to you, I would just urge you to hear them as a call for repentance, to make a change. Under the power of the Spirit, you can do it. Let's pray. We thank you, God, that you have created each one of us with this wonderful, creative, inquisitive impulse, and we thank you. We thank you that we have an internal combustion engine and microchips and light and all these things that alleviate our circumstances. I pray that you would help us be wise to exercise restraint, to listen to the beckoning of your spirit and the gentle words of Jesus who would implore us to not be distracted but to focus on the one thing necessary. Amen.